Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis. And I'm Yvette Montoya. And you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon and Español. We tell stories about femme leaders and activists of color, making our world a better place. Let's get started. So we are here today with Marina Preciado, and she is 17. This is our... I wasn't doing anything important when I was 17. I was. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey was like a crazy overachiever, and I was like, eh, I'll see where this takes me. I'll see where this life goes. I was a legit overachiever. I think I still am, which has probably led to all my neurosis now as an adult, which Yvette loves to... uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. That was sarcasm. If you tell. <laughs> I think everyone could tell. Well, th- some people don't know me in person. Uh, you're the only person that doesn't understand sarcasm. It's true. I don't. I lack <laughs> social cues sometimes. For I a know, smart but- person, that's really sad. <laughs> but Marina gets social cues because she uses social media to inform, educate, and empower people, especially youth, about current events and social issues. That is like what we're trying to do now at 30 years old. I'm just going to pause and make my face. <laughs> my, my I feel this big, actually this tiny face. But it's amazing. I mean, this is exactly what we want, right? This is why we have the show. We want to showcase women, young women who are doing this and making a difference in everyday lives. Um, so Marina, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you. So, Marina, um, give us in like two or three sentences for those of our listeners who've never heard of you before, what you do and what you're about. So about a year ago, when the election and everything was going on, I started posting on Twitter about stuff going on and it kind of got me involved. And I was really concerned that nobody my age really was like concerned or as concerned as they should have been. And I didn't really have anybody that I looked up to at my age that was doing the things that I was doing or talking about the things that I've been talking about. And so I kind of like took it upon myself to start posting about it. And it started catching people's attention and they started following me on Twitter specifically where I share a lot of stuff that goes on and it turned into me writing for MTV. So I became an MTV founder where I submit articles for them. And I also work with Undocumedia, which is one of the largest immigrant rights groups in the nation. That's amazing. That is so amazing. (laughs) And, you you know, to go back to what we were doing, I remember when I was your age voting in my very first election. And I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I really didn't have that much awareness or interest. And you're right. There is definitely the sense of apathy around that age group that is misinformed, doesn't care, isn't learning about it, when actually that's about the time in high school when you're going through U.S. history, right? So you are very active in the process of learning fundamentals that us as adults either don't remember or haven't bothered to educate ourselves of with more of. So it is incredibly powerful. I feel like the biggest disconnect between maybe kids and what's going on with history or learning about our political system is that what we learn in schools isn't really about us as brown people. It doesn't represent us. I looked at this election and I totally thought Paul Ryan was going to pull a house of cards from the latest season and be like, I'm not running. Just kidding. I overtook this election. I don't know what that show is. (laughs) (laughs) Do you watch that show, Brina? No, I don't. You guys don't watch House of Cards? No. No. It's clearly because I have a thing for power and politics (laughs) as evidenced by all my dysfunctional adult dating relationships. (laughs) Yeah, but like... We don't get our own history, so it's like almost like they're not talking about us, and there's no 
connection to how we can be involved in our own political process, because it's not something that generally represents us. Like we don't see people of color generally in office. We don't see women in office. We don't see young people in office. Mm -hmm. Like that's a new thing that is coming from this election is people wanting to get involved and wanting to run. Audrey's friend is running. Yeah, she's so one of my friends is running for California 34 mm -hmm. um, for the congressional mm -hmm. race. Sarah Hernandez mm -hmm. last. She didn't make the runoff. So there's going to be one more election, it looks like between uh, on and I forget the other person. But, you know, watching Sarah participate in her campaign, she used to be chief of staff for Councilman Weezar. She's been a huge supporter of us, both at Startup DTLA and with Worthy Women. She's Latina. She's uh, yeah. Stanford educated. She's a lawyer. She's one of the most powerful, giving, incredible women I know. She's a nonprofit founder for Coro. She is just a powerhouse. And watching her walk away from her job to run for this election was like, damn, that is what we should be seeing. Like this was a horrible outcome. Let's not, let's not joke about it. It absolutely was. Trump nation is a scary nation to live under, but it is very inspiring to see people like yourselves at your age and everyone else, us taking action with Brown Girls Rising, Getting doubling involved. down on worthy women. Absolutely. It's important to get involved. And it's sad that it took something like this to push us out of our comfort zones to make that happen. Mm -hmm. But Marina, I'm curious. So you told us that you are considering pursuing a career in education or the judicial system. How has that changed or made it even more impactful with what you're doing now? Because you have a voice and a platform. First of all, you have a free platform, which we all have, and you have certainly used yours to amplify your message in a positive way. And two, the opportunities that you have with Undocumedia and MTV, those are things we dream about. Yeah, I we mean, don't even have those. You're adulting <laughs> on a level of, I mean, you're following even. Like, how many followers do you have on Twitter? I have almost 22,000. I can't even break 2,000 <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> I'm been... stuck at like 673. And I'm very upset about it. <laughs> if it you're listening so to this, fast. go follow me. <laughs> Yvette, actually, please. Okay. Um. <laughs> tell us. But no, yeah. seriously, tell us about um, that experience. Like, how has that changed your choice of career for what you want to do? And in this process, has it made you more passionate about it? Or has it made you explore other options? I think from my platform growing, it's made me explore other options. Because since I was really young, I always said I wanted to be a teacher. And like, it's been where my mind was focused for a really long time. And following the election and stuff, like, I, I believe that education is really important, but I think that through my platform, I was able to find things that I was more passionate about rather than children, and that was law and learning about our judicial system and how it works and why it's always worked against people and how it needs to be fixed and things like that. And it's just really, it became really concerning as time went on as, like, to why there weren't so many people in certain fields and things like that, which kind of made me change my whole perspective from teaching to being a lawyer. That's incredible. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. dope. So there was an article that you wrote for MTV, right? Mm -hmm. And it I read that it started out as an AP yeah. literature <laughs> prompt. Yeah, it was our, our like beginning of the year introduction for our senior year. It was the prompt was how it feels to be blank me. And you needed to fill in the blank with the word that described you. And we used it throughout the paper. And I didn't even want to use brown just because my whole pages like are circled around brown and all that. And I really mm -hmm. wanted to be creative with it. But that was the only thing I could think of. 
And so I was actually running late on writing the paper, like did it the night before and it ended up being like one of my best papers ever. I turned it into my teacher and she was just really impressed with it. And I'd been wanting to submit something to the MTV Founders page for a while anyways. And so I took it upon myself to take that paper and turn it in, not even expecting to hear anything back because I had read people that had consistently sent things in and had never gotten a response. And literally within like three days, I got a response and my author profile was created within like a week and my editor was like contacting me about it. And it was all like happened so fast. Like my teacher was even like in shock about it, like how fast it happened. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. And you identify yourself as a brown girl. Like this podcast is called Brown Girls Rising. And I think what we've seen from our experiences are that people have one of two reactions to brown. They're either super proud to be like, I'm brown and here I am. Or there's a lot of shame around it. And they're like, well, I'm Latino <laughs> or I'm of Spanish descent. I met somebody who didn't identify as Latino. He was like, I'm, I'm from Texas. I'm Texan. I'm like, yeah, but you're like straight Tejano. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I was like, tienes el nopal en la frente, and you're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me that you're not Latino, that you don't identify as Latino. Like that was so bizarre. Oh, that hurts me in my I heart. I know. I was like, ugh. That's like working at like Superior and being like, I don't see Spanish or know what a tamal is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is masa? I don't know what the masa is. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. We shouldn't be making fun. We're not. Um, but I, okay, back to the question. So Marina, you know, you identify as a brown girl. Um, Big time because that was a really great article. Thank you. How, how has that changed for you? Does it, since you've grown your platform, have you always identified as a brown girl? What is your experience with that word? Um, it was really different at first when I was younger. My parents kind of implied it a lot on us that we were Mexican and, you know, we spent a lot of time with family. We went on and did things with our family. We were very family-oriented, like your typical Mexican household. And um, my mom did pass away when I was nine. So after she passed away, my household totally shifted and I wasn't really surrounded by that anymore. And my school environment completely changed and I was really ashamed like I my friends talk to me about it now like I used to tell them like I don't want to go out in the sun because I don't want to look brown like I don't want to tan I don't like I used to tell them I don't speak Spanish even though I fluently speak Spanish and it was just really embarrassing for me just because growing up my family or my parents were like your typical Chicano household like I remember my student of the month ceremonies like my parents would come and my mom used to make us go to school where the large, she always told me where the larger houses were, which I always say I never understood it because I didn't understand where bigger houses were. There were more wealthier people and the schools were supposed to be nicer. And we would go to school and my student of ceremonies, she would come and I used to be really embarrassed because my fam my mom was like a chola and my dad a chola, like your typical Chicano parents. And, you know, my mom would come with her big old hoop earrings and her tube tops and my dad with his oversized shirts, like plaid shorts. And I like we stood out compared to the rest of the family, especially because a lot of them were white. And it was really embarrassing for me. So as soon as I wasn't surrounded by that, it was easier for me to let go of it and be able to lie about it. Like I used to tell people that I was white and that I wasn't Mexican. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't want to tan, like things like that. And Following in the high school, I had to move high schools. And when I moved, I went to a high school that was predominantly Mexican. I went to the high school in Pomona to Pomona High School. And hey. yeah, <laughs> all of a lot of the kids there, you know, they came from the same family that I did. They they were a lot like me. They were a lot more like me. And I was able to embrace it more because I understood that it was normal and it was okay and that there were other kids like that that were like me. And from there, it kind of grew. And then onto my platform, like I started seeing other people that were just as proud of it. And I learned to understand that it wasn't anything that made me like stand out in a bad way. And if anything, it made me stand out in a good way. 
So I went to school in Paramount where I had the opposite experience. Everyone in their mom was a reformed chola or maybe not reformed. <laughs> and everybody and it was the 90s. So the gang infestation was like huge. And I had the opposite. My mom is Mexican, but my dad's white and my mom's I don't like to use the term whitewash, which is a little coconut. It's brown <laughs> on the outside, very white on the inside. And my mom was like not like that and very buttoned up and very proper. And all I ever wanted was to be just a little more chola, which led to a lot of my youthful choices. But Yvette and I were talking about yesterday. We have another guest that's coming on in a couple of weeks on the show. And she's a little older than you are, a couple of years but she's like super down for the 90s chola culture. Oh, yeah. And we were looking at her Instagram and I was like, man, that was me with my oversized dickies and my shirt that my mom wouldn't let me wear a crop top. So I used to tie it in a knot at school and outline my lips in brown, but not color them in. I was like, oh, man, I was so confused because I would like outline my lips too. But then I was like, Hollister. <laughs> and like I was totally... Um, I'm from Rancho Cucamonga. I'm originally from LA, but we moved out there. Um, I actually have spent a lot of time in Pomona. Shout out to the P. <laughs> but I grew up kind of feeling like I needed to transcend my brownness to kind of be neutral in order to please everybody else. And like, I totally get that because I did not want to speak Spanish. Like when my mom would speak to me, I would always respond in English. Like oh. I didn't want people would come over to my house That's and they would sister. be like, they would be like, why do your grandparents live with you? I'd be like, I don't know. Because That's how we people, get down. Because white people send their, <laughs> their grandparents and people that they should be taking care of in their elder years to homes. Yeah. We don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. no, no. we and, you know, my grandma talks about this. She always says that we came to this country with nothing and all we have is family. And that should be the core of everything. And I think that that is a very that's a maternal instinct. Right. That is a female centric pillar that I think we've heard not just from your story, but with some of our other guests, that it's typically somebody's mom who's keeping the family core together in that capacity. Question for you, you mentioned not wanting to go out in the sun. I know for me, we were always praised for being light and freckled and pale, right? Did you have that same experience growing up? Um, no, because when I was younger, I used to spend a lot of time outside, so I was a lot darker. They call than you I am La Prieta. Now. Yeah, I was so I was so tan and brown, and it was so pretty. And over time, like because I like try to be inside so much, that's how I ended up getting so pale, and it frustrates me so much now because it makes me sad that like that happened at some point. Yeah, yeah same. But I never stayed away from the sun because in in my time, it was when Hollister and Abercrombie were getting really, really cool and everybody wanted to be tan. And so people would look at me and they'd be like, oh, my God, I'm almost as dark as you. Oh, my God, I'm almost as tan as you. I do that You're so lucky that you get to be tan. I'm like, this is just the color of my skin (laughs) all the time. (laughs) I don't have to be in the sun for it. So I wanted to ask you because you're very heavy on social media You've been very open about your brownness and praising it and, you know, embracing your roots. And I started running our Brown Girls Rising Instagram and our social. And it wasn't until I really took a stand and just started, like, basically saying whatever I want about how I'm feeling about things that we really started getting a response from people. And traction. And traction. So is that kind of like what you found? Like, what were you saying that was really resonating with people? 
honestly, I think it was like it became an equal balance of like funny jokes and also seriousness. So relatable things would obviously like blow up more than the like more serious political things. And from there, I was able to transition into like funny stuff a lot of the time into more of political stuff the other half of the time. Yeah, because I've I mean, we get the same thing. Yeah. For those of you listening, Yvette, since she runs Brown Girls Rising on the Instagram, I actually don't touch it. And I can't tell you how often I have friends or people that know us on the worthy women side that will Yvette will post something and I'll get like I'll see a million alerts on my phone from like the push notifications. And then I'll get like somebody I know who texts me and they're like, that was so Yvette, right? You didn't post that. And I'm like, of course not. A hundred percent, of course not. I know. Every time I post something, I'm like, is this going to make Audrey like uncomfortable? And if the answer is yes, then I definitely post it. And it does. It pushes limits, which which is what we want, right? So again, Yvette runs our Brown Girls Rising Instagram account. So for those of you listening, it's at Brown Girls Rising, plural on the girls. If you compare that to our Worthy Women account, which is Worthy Women LLC, which is the company, this is a project of Worthy Women, you can see the stark difference. It is very different. Brown Girls pushes boundaries. Worthy Women is much more uplifting. And even on the Brown Girls, you know, Yvette's right. Sometimes I do get uncomfortable. It is pushing boundaries where I sit here and I go, oh my gosh, what are our sponsors going to think? What are the businesses that we work with going to think? But the truth is, you know, if they don't like us because of our content and they think what we have to say is uncomfortable for them, we don't want to do business with them. We are here to take a stand, right? Do business with the people that think the way you think and believe what you believe. Thank you, Simon Sinek. Preach. <laughs> and if you don't believe that and you're uncomfortable with it, then you're you don't not- have to follow us. No, and you don't have to be a part of our brand. We are here to elevate the conversations of feminist women, of women of color, people of color. And sometimes that means dropping a few F-bombs and really taking a stand because I and feel like- And calling people on their yeah. bleep. I don't, I feel like when people are kind of afraid to take a stand that, you know, if you choose neutrality or you choose silence, you're choosing the side of the oppressor. So by staying quiet, and I kind of came to that point where I started saying, you know what, I'm just going to say what I think. And I feel like people gravitate more towards your ideas than they do just like plainly being given information about whatever it is that you want to talk about. And we see that in the engagement. So we've had the Brown Girls Rising Instagram for about four months, but really we've only started posting on it for maybe the last six to eight weeks when this podcast launched. Actually, no, six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks. And in those six weeks, I would say the last two have blown up. Yeah. Really, because Yvette started, you taking know, taking a stand. She started taking a stand and not caring and just really calling people out, which is another challenge because I sit here in the office and I go, stop looking at Facebook. She gets all riled up, right? <laughs> it's like her hair, the curls expand with her anger, where she sits here and she's like, no, no, no. But you know what? It's been really cathartic to be able to just say it. And then have people be like, you know what? I feel the same way. It is. That's how I feel about writing. That's been like a big thing. But like, I feel like people don't want to say how they feel because they don't want to get haters and they don't want to get trolls. Mm -hmm. And like, you must have gotten your fair share of haters and trolls. Mm -hmm. How do you handle the trolls? Yeah. Um, Honestly, a lot of them end up getting blocked just because it's easier to block them than sit there and listen to them. And a lot of them are usually like accounts that barely even have any followers anyways. They're like bots and fake accounts. They're specifically just for trolling. 
Yeah, they're like specific accounts for it. They, so I usually block them or I just don't pay attention to them. If you don't pay attention to them, they stop responding eventually. So Sunday's episode of Homeland, by the time this airs, it's a month from now. But Sunday's episode of Homeland, if any of you watch the show on Showtime, was about how the CIA was using government propaganda by having a bunker with people that coders that were creating bots to flood the media with fake news to influence and enrage the public to create an uprising to overthrow the president. Think of an uprising of like, like in Egypt, right? When Twitter blew up and they like literally overtook, what it, what it, where was that? Was that in Cairo? Uh, it was Alexandria. I think it was, think it was Giza. Oh my, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Giza? No, I think it was like Cairo or Alexandria. Anyways, Egypt uprising, right? A couple of years ago on Twitter, massive social media push. And the article, or the article, the show on Homeland was talking about how like our government has done that to to other governments to overthrow them by by inciting the people with anger and fake propaganda. And I sit here and I go, man, how much of that resonates real true today? And mm-hmm. we see this on the bots. I just got trolled by bots. I just had an experience where I was getting trolled online and I literally got alerted on Twitter that thousands of bots were tweeting disparaging, oh, maybe it wasn't thousands, maybe it was like hundreds, uh, disparaging messages to me and I couldn't block them fast enough. And I'm a verified account on Twitter and I'm tweeting at Twitter and submitting them. And they're like, this doesn't violate our form of harassment. And I'm like, fake accounts that are nonstop tweeting disparaging messages to damage your brand are not harassment? Really, Twitter? Really, though? Or even to damage people's lives in general. Like, how many kids commit suicide oh my God. because mm-hmm. they get bullied online? I was so overwhelmed. My inbox, I couldn't stop looking at my phone. And then for days, I was paranoid and scared of my phone. Every time I got an alert, I'm like, oh, God, what is it going to be? No wonder people have the reactions that they do. And we see things like that, like suicides. Finally, they got taken down. Thanks, Twitter. But it took a major roundabout way to make that happen. And I did not feel supported. And you know what else sucks? I was sitting there looking at my friends, supposedly, who saw this happening. You think any of them stopped and reported it for me and were like, hey, Audrey, this really sucks. Like, I'm here for you. No, people like to rubberneck and watch from the sidelines and step back. Chuck Palahniuk has a great line that says, everybody steps back when the pool of your blood gets too close to their feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> but what kind of a response have you gotten, like, positive, negative, and the like for all of the different writing that you do, for the stances that you take? Like, how do you get involved IRL? So at first, the response was really different just because a lot of people used to tell me, like, you're brave for doing this. And I didn't understand why until my platform really started growing because things like trolls would pop up or, like, people would say things. And it was even people at school talking about it. Like, what are you really doing? Like, all you're doing is posting on the Internet. And it was totally understandable. Like, all I am doing is posting on the Internet right now. But it started growing into something else. And, like, I saw people's response and... Um, we started um, creating things at school that were going on. There was an issue at my school with the Confederate flag, and me and another friend, you know, in took Pomona? it. In Pomona? No, in where I live in Lancaster now. Ugh. 
Yeah, yeah. So our town's like super conservative, and students were bringing the conservative flag. They're wearing it on campus, <gasps> and it was a really like it was a huge mess. And oh, me hell and no. yeah, so me and my other friend, um, I've talked about her a lot. A lot of my followers know about her. Her name is Michaela, and she's black. So she like uh, honestly like she gets me most involved. Like she's probably one of like my main influencers. Like she really like inspires me just because I saw how like involved she wanted to be and realized like it was okay for me to be involved. So following the Confederate flag issue, we kind of took a stance at our school and you know let our administration know that it wasn't okay and it took suspensions and the calls to security and arguments things that we had to take in our own hands in order for them to finally listen I mean these issues still happen but now they know like we're not going to be quiet about it and so following the election we um, organized our own school walkout and we were the first school to organize this so me and Michaela did it together with one more friend was that the one that was on the news no, ours wasn't on the news. It was in our like local newspaper, and then we just did it like locally. And it was just really odd because we're in a conservative town, so seeing like a bunch of kids doing a walk out of school is really odd. And our administration was really upset. Like our school district found out about it. They blocked our Wi-Fi at school. Like they were blocking <gasps> our social media accounts. And oh my god, yeah. And so it was a mess. Like um, my AP literature teacher, she's also a journalism teacher, and she was really upset because as a journalism teacher, she was like, "How are they going to block the internet from you? Like that's your right to be able to post about it and your right to protest." Like, and I think our main point of it was you guys weren't doing anything about the Confederate flag. Like we're not going to let you guys know that this like what's going on is okay either. Like we're not comfortable with what's going on. Those are your cons institutional rights yeah and it, it was a huge mess and you know we ended up going through with it and administration was really upset for a long time you know they followed us out of the school they cut um, groups of students off from walking out it was it was a really big mess and wow yeah we that's a lot for them to do to like try to get well what point were they trying to get across like don't cut school or and like what a traumatic experience for a bunch of high school students to think that like the things that you have faith in that they have taught you that these are the rights that are afforded to you here's what we can and can't do to physically block you and to cut off your access to things like that's crazy yeah mm-hmm. that's like a metaphor for the united states in general for people of color mm-hmm. where they tell you this is what you get this is what you're going to have you have all of these rights and you're equal and you're just like us except for when you want to raise your voice and mm-hmm. you want to make something known it like, was really ironic because in my ap government class like i'm pretty sure it was that week or the week before we had just learned about like your right to protest and things like that and then to actually do a oh, protest no. at school <laughs> yeah so we were, you're like no not today satan yeah. Any yeah. Yeah. Today, satan. like all morning we were in class searching our rights printing out booklets from ah, um i love that yeah it was it was real it was like i don't want to say it was fun but it was like interesting to see like actually be able to organize our own thing and do it at school and like yeah, that sounds fun yeah <laughs> yeah and you know what it sounds like? It sounds like you're a feminist. Um, so I have to ask you, do you refer to yourself as a feminist? I do and I don't. I don't really use the term and I haven't really made it like present on my social media accounts just because like brown is like my main word. But I mean, I do. I mean, everything I stand for reflects it. What I do reflects it. So I would say I do. When I was your age, I was very uncomfortable calling myself a feminist. Until recently. Until recently. And Yvette's like, you are a feminist. I'm like, ah, oh, that word. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, you are. Just wear it. Just wear it and be quiet. <laughs> just be happy and just wear it. Okay, mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time you've ever called me mom. I call Audrey mom. In the office, Audrey is mom. It's because I nag. And I and I'm I'm motherly. I can I get worried about a lot of things. So I'm always behind people going like, don't do this, don't do that, don't forget this. And I can't help it, right? Because I'm the one responsible, right? 
it's my liability on the line. It's the expectation. And it's my job to make sure things get taken yeah. care of. So Yesterday I get, she was I like, become my mother. I'm responsible. And I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> no, Most of the time. Yeah. No, because I was. Ta- we were talking about you yesterday. We were talking about, I was like, when I was 17, I had n- none of this on my mind. Oh, yeah. Like, I heavy called myself a feminist, but like, I had never actually taken any type of action towards that and doing feminist action because realistically in the 90s, wait, mm-hmm. no, it was early 2000. It was early 2000. Yeah, there was nothing really going I mean there were things going on but like it wasn't this kind of mobility that's happening now because of our political climate we've been so complacent for so long yeah what were you doing at 17 Yvette um just like skipping (laughs) skipping class or skipping with your skip it both (laughs) you don't know what a skip it is I do oh (laughs) she does no my next door neighbor broke my skip it I remember because, you know, you're supposed to, you've got to start it. So you got to like whip it around. He threw it straight down into the ground and it just broke. And I was like, stupid. (laughs) I hate you. Now I really want to skip it in the office. Do they make those still? I don't know. We could probably find one. Bring it it (laughs) Um, back. But you were skipping class. I was, I wasn't skipping class per se. I was leaving early. Because I only had differentiation <laughs> there. I was I had half days. I was so I was like such a rebel without a cause. I had half days. All I had to do to leave like legally without getting in trouble was sign out. But they wanted to make sure that we would stay the full time, so they wouldn't let us sign out until exactly twelve. And I would leave at eleven thirty. Like you know what? I just gotta live my life. I'm just gonna do whatever I want. And I I got suspended a few times. Okay. And by contrast, my overachieving self was taking every AP. In fact, I took so many APs that my high school and I was in a magnet program ran out of AP classes to offer me. So they sent me to Cal State Long Beach for half the day by my by the 11th grade. They tried to send me to uh, UCR in the summer. And I was like, <laughs> you think I'm going to waste my summer in school? Oh my gosh. I did that since I was in middle school. Since middle school, oh, my mom, no, 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 no. my mom enrolled me in like geometry and algebra because back then those weren't offered until high school. And I took all those. So by the time I got into high school, I was like cranking through APs. This is how I graduated at the age of 20. Cause I basically started college as almost a junior, but I was like a legit overachiever. I think that it's funny though, because I never fully saw myself like going this route and being an entrepreneur because you have this this version that we see in the media is people like Audrey who are like crazy people who do all of this stuff and have this vision in mind really young. I didn't have any of that. But like somehow I still managed to go to UCLA. I still managed to go get my master's. Like I still managed to do all these things and get here. And like it's not dependent on how you do in high school or what you do early on. It's like, it's really not where you're from. It's like where you're going. You know what I'm saying? So like, what, like, are you going to go to college? Like you already have this huge platform and like, you're literally marketable. Yeah. You don't, you, I mean, I don't want to like ruin your life or anything, but being like, don't go to college. But like, (laughs) I've been telling my sister, like, it's not really necessary the way it was before. And College doesn't necessarily even make you marketable. Well, it depends on what you're doing. Like, so you said you wanted to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a lawyer, you definitely have to go to college. My undergrad is in psychology, and I always wanted to be a therapist. And even though I got into business, I feel like I practice what I've learned in school now, even though it came kind of roundabout 10 years later, with worthy women. 
right? I hear a lot of people's shame stories. So I do feel like I um, absorb a counselor type role in many ways. But I mean, what are your plans for your future? I know I was very, well, Yvette may have not been sure of her future. I was very sure. (laughs) I knew it was going to be that way. Then when it didn't exactly pan out that way, of course, I had a life crisis because I'm a recovering perfectionist. Honestly, my platform is kind of like, like I said, like it changed like the career path I wanted to take. And it kind of like I think about it sometimes because I know like the whole marketable thing, like people make living off of social media. Yeah. And yeah, like it's something that's super growing. And so I think that if something did come from it, that I'd still want to go to school. I might just change my major to communication just because, like I said, like education is really important to me and I still want to go to school. So I think if something did happen, like that's what would happen is me changing my major. But as for now, I start at California State University of Northridge in the fall and I'll be majoring in political science. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. That's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It's not easy to get in college these days. It is not. It is not easy to pay for it. Did you get scholarships and stuff? No, FAFSA is actually covering my entire tuition. Congratulations. (laughs) Kudos, girl. (laughs) Yeah. I'm paying all of that back now. and It's (laughs) not great. (laughs) You mentioned earlier about one of your inspirations. I'd love to know who are some of your who are some of the other people, books, experiences that have really inspired you and helped shape the way that you're inspiring others now. Um, so for sure, my friend, how I said, Michaela, and um, I really admire Sonia Sotomayor. Like I oh, love her yes. so much. I just finished reading her book not too long ago. It took me forever to get my hands on it. But I really love her, and um. I'd want to say Sandra Cisneros. I really, really love her books. I actually got an email from her not too long ago. She read my article from MTV and she emailed me about it. And I was freaking out. Like it was one of the coolest things ever just because in elementary school, like I remember reading her books and because there were Spanish words in it, I wanted to read her books and I wanted to read them out loud in class. Like, like, haha, like I could say this word in Spanish. I have an accent when I say this. And it's just really inspiring to be able to hear back from them and talk to them. The house on Mango Street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're obsessed with her too. (laughs) <laughs> We're trying to get her on the show. <laughs> yeah. That's that's awesome, dude. You should be super proud of yourself. I'm proud of you and I just Thank met you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Marina, we've loved having you here and we're connected with you online, but how can our listeners get connected with you? Where can they find you at? Um, They can find me on Twitter mainly. That's where I try to keep up the most. So my at name is O-X-M-I-N-A-O-X. So O-X, Mina O-X. And then Instagram I try to keep up with, but sometimes it's harder, you know, to post long posts on there. And then as well as the YouTube channel. So I did just start working on that. And I do hope to keep working on it just because it does give me a larger platform to speak more. Fabulous. You can find me at Audrey Bellis. And you can find me at Yvette, actually. This has been Brown Girls Rising. Bye. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was brought to you by Nylon Español and recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.